0: I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. Thoughts become me. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Himner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real-life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to this week? So I just earlier today got off of a call with a client who has an opportunity to bring an employee back. So the employee left back in August and has gotten in touch because they are interested in coming back. And this employee left chasing Payroll, chasing salary, chasing money. And he's not happy in the new organization where he is. And it just got me thinking about how and paying attention to how the amount of money that we make does not equal the level of happiness that we experience at work. Which brings me right to our guest for today. Dr. Tracy Bauer is a PhD psychologist studying work-life fulfillment and happiness. She is the author of The Secrets to Happiness at Work and Bring Work to Life. She is also the vice president of Workplace Insights for Steelcase and a contributor to Forbes and Fast Company. Her work has been translated into 18 different languages and you can find her at Tracy Brower with no E in Tracy, tracybrower.com, LinkedIn, or any of the usual social channels and all of those you can connect with through the show notes for our show. Welcome to the show, Tracy.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: You're so welcome. So, As I often start with guests, what is something that you have been paying attention to that other people may not be paying attention to? And what's the cost to us of that inattention?
1: Hmm. Oh, such a good question. (laughs) I have been paying so much attention to the value of work. Like, I just think we have this narrative going on right now about how less work is more and the best situation is, you know no work at all. And really, (laughs) you know, the best life is sitting on the couch eating bonbons. And work is such an important part of how we express who we are and how we express our talents. And I think we're, I think we're missing that. Like, I think the narrative is doing us a disservice. And so I feel like if we pay attention to making work a better experience, Mm -hmm. that is a really, really wise and wonderful thing for us as individuals and as a society. I
0: agree. As you know, I am on a mission to have the world of work be one in which everyone can thrive. And so I want to dive in with you to this idea that's been coming up a lot, especially, you know, as we maneuver through COVID and people were, many of them, able to work from home. Of course, many, many people were not able to work from home. But many were able to work from home, and and now organizations trying to figure out, you know, how much do we have people working from home and not, and with the whole diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging movement, this idea has come up around bringing your whole self to work. I thought this was a great place to start, and uh, this author is talking about, you know, so what does it mean? to bring your whole self to work. And and what they call out is it means being free to present ideas, questions, insights without fear. It's interesting though, that over time, this has become less about this sort of connection to psychological safety, which is ultimately what that is about. And more about people not having to code switch, people being fully able to fully express all parts of their personality at work. As, as you know, I have a bit of a challenge with that concept, and so do you. So I want us to dig in a little bit to that.
1: Yeah, you are the one asking this question, and I think it needs to be asked. I don't think a lot of other people are paying attention to this. So thank you. Thank you for this. dialogue. You know, I think this has everything to do with a balance between individual needs and the needs of the team or the group or the organization. Like in the olden days, we used to talk about rights and responsibilities, and we used to talk about my rights and where yours begin, right? And I think there's this really important um, way that we need to be sensitive to others, right? Like, yes, we want to bring our whole selves. Yes, we want to not worry so much about guarding or protecting or play acting. We want to be able to be fully ourselves. And the balancing act there is being really, really respectful of others as well. You know, like, like, and and the more we can kind of respect each other's differences of opinion, the more we can learn from each other, the more we can improve, the more we can really move forward together. And that doesn't mean me giving up who I am. It doesn't mean me compromising my fundamental identity, but it does mean having so much respect for people around me that i'm bringing the right amounts of myself so that we can still kind of each do that be kind of fully ourselves within the parameters of the relationship and it's hard to set that bound it's hard to say what that boundary is so you you can probably say it better than i can <laughs> well actually this
0: is not this is what we want not people people to not bring <laughs> work. We do not need to see you with your shirt off, cheering the team that you most support. (laughs) So I just thought this was such a great image of what we don't need at work. And my husband is a huge sports fanatic. And sports are a huge part of who he is. And sometimes when he's working with clients, he's in the financial services industry. And sometimes when he's working with clients, he might use a sports analogy. And I mean, even that is one of those things that can be seen as exclusionary. Because, of course, then all the people who don't care about sports or don't understand what it would mean to be talking about, you know, the left tackle doing whatever a left tackle does. I have no idea. I have no idea what a left tackle does. But I know know that there's such a thing as a left tackle. Right. You know, so so we want to, We do want to be conscious and careful. So here's an alternative to bringing your whole self at work. Let's. All bring only, you know, or at least primarily the worky parts. So, the parts that care about how things are at work, the parts that really want to think about how do we collaborate well together? How do we connect well together? How do we communicate well together? If we bring those worky parts, we also, you know, so obviously I just referenced a husband, but I might have a wife. And if it's cool and okay for me to reference my wife just the same way as I'm able to reference my husband, you know, that's part of what we're talking about when we're able to bring our whole selves to work. Because of course, you know, if So my husband also happens to be a black man and a very dark skinned black man. He can't pretend he's not. He cannot pretend that he is a Norwegian six foot three white man. That's just not something he could pretend. I, however, could pretend that I'm straight if I'm gay. And, you know, so there are all kinds of parts of our personality that we have unfortunately, over the last decades, been encouraged to keep at home. And I think that those are really the parts of our of our personality and and the things that are fundamental to who we are as people that we want to be able to express at work. It's all the other stuff. And, you know, (laughs) you don't want to know. many parts about me. I am not bringing my whole self to work. And so we want to be really clear. And and as you said, it's tricky. It's, It's like when we try to talk about what is organizational culture, it gets sort of squirmy and squishy. And just like organizational culture, which is something that each organization gets to define for themselves. Bringing your whole self to work, I believe, must be something that an organization defines and is very clear on. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Yeah, I love this. I absolutely believe that we need to be clear about who we are, about what makes us special and unique we need to be able to express that and and we need to do that within our worky context i love yes. the quote right and and so it's not about expressing that for the sake of expressing it at work right. it's for the sake of context and connecting and you know like like it's just nice to work with people and just know a little bit about them right and so that's part of it and i also feel like so so being fully ourselves is a beautiful and important thing. And I think the thing that we need to do is also make sure that we're focused on what unites us and, and what we have in common, what our common goals are, what our purposes are, what our line of sight is to each other in terms of the work that we're doing, the way that we need to roll up sleeves and work on something together. You mentioned sports, and there's a really, really interesting body of work that talks about how people approach each other and judge each other based on identity. So if you ask people to listen to an opposite side in a debate Mm -hmm. and ask them what they agree with, what they don't agree with, how emotionally frustrated they are by the person they're listening to who may have a different opinion, they will express a certain amount of emotion or frustration if it's a different opinion than theirs, period if they've been told that the person they're listening to supports the opposite sports team from theirs, their level of disagreement, their level of emotional reaction, their level of negativity absolutely rises. And so there is this this, um, judging that we tend to do if we think about things as being polarized, if we start out by assuming that we're on different teams. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we need to be fully ourselves and appreciate others for being fully themselves and then remind ourselves of all the ways that we are united all the things that make us human together those i think will take us a really long way in terms of how we get things done and how good we feel about what we're doing in the first place
0: and you know this idea of how how good we feel about the work that we're doing and those things that unite us it's actually incredibly important to the bottom line. And so one of the things where organizational leaders can sometimes get confused is, you know, well they're hearing all of this stuff about people being fully expressed and like, well, isn't that lovely and nice and sort of touchy-feely and and whatever, but I'm the CEO or I'm the CFO, and so what I need to care about is our bottom line. And the reality is that organizations that are diverse, that have people from diverse experiences, diverse backgrounds, diverse educational experiences, diverse lived experiences from different parts of the country, from different parts of the world, different gender identities, all all of the ways in which we are, are different and yet united, makes us way more interesting to consumers because consumers can see themselves in our organization and it makes us be able to position much more effectively because we're thinking about all of those different components I mean organizations there there have been many studies organizations that are more diverse and more psychologically safe and I want to get into those connections in just a second are 34% more profitable, top line and bottom line profitable, than organizations that aren't?
1: Yes, because we can bring all of the elements of our different skills and talents and perspectives, right? And that helps us innovate. It helps us be extraordinarily better at performing. And that happens at an individual level and a team level. There is actually a really great psychological study that looks at when people feel like they're more able to just be totally who they are, when they're more able to be open about what makes them unique, they actually perform better. And organizations perform better when they can debate and dialogue like thing that you asked me what I'm paying attention to at the beginning yeah. and the other thing that I've been really paying attention to is the extent to which we are unable to disagree with each other as well as maybe what we used to right like like like, I really believe it's so important to invite in differences of opinion, to invite in the dissenting voice, to ask somebody in a meeting, you know, I've just given my opinion, how do you see it differently? Because that is the way that we progress forward. And the thing that scares me is the extent to which we are no longer feeling comfortable to do that, we don't want to offend anybody or the extent to which people are offended if they hear an opinion that's different than theirs. We need to be able to put things forward that disagree with our own point of view. That's the way we move forward. And that's part of where that um, data comes from that you suggested, right? When an organization can disagree and move things forward and learn from each other that is what will make them a better performing organization and that will actually make more of us happier as well right like we get to learn we get to be challenged we get to feel closer to others because we've learned something more about their opinions as well yeah and i think you know we
0: are at this really interesting and challenging moment in time where the idea of civility and civil discourse has sort of fallen out of our thinking. And one of my my very best friends is getting her doctorate in community engagement and how unconnected we all are. And po- polarized, this idea of being able to communicate and and have differences of opinions and you know when we have differences of opinions sometimes we get hot about it and so you know letting people fully express sometimes get hot about it and then if if feelings get hurt or if things happen through the process through that process then having ways for people to come back together again. I'm working with an organization right now where their leadership team has gotten fractured over some things that were said and done and tone and you know and so part of what we're working on is you know humans are humans and sometimes we say and do things that's not great. And so then we get to own that and we get to apologize for it. You know, we've got such a frame in our society that like, you know, never apologize, never never say you're wrong, you know, love is never having to say you're sorry. As far as I say bullshit to all of that. We we as humans, I mean, God knows in my marriage, I get to apologize all, all the time. Same. And so right, and so we are integrated humans, so we get to do that at work too. And we haven't talked about Brene Brown, but my hunch is that you may be a Brene Brown fan. And you know one of the one of her quotes which I wish I could find again, but it is something like that thing that you are most afraid to show other people is the thing that makes other people interested in you. And that thing is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when we get vulnerable, when we are able to share of ourselves, when we are able to say, I don't know, or man, I messed that up. That's when other people lean in. and That's when they get interested in, in us. And that's then when true connection can be made.
1: Yes, exactly. I've been thinking a lot about critics, because Mm -hmm. you know, there's all the kerfuffle right now about how Elon Musk shot, shot down a few prominent journalists because they're critical of him. And so I'm working on an article right now about the benefit of listening to your critics of being open to your critics, right? Because you learn and you can continuously improve. Like you you learn what's out there and you may disagree with it, but it may help you learn about your own perspective and improve. Right. But it also helps your credibility, right? Like I am strong enough in my beliefs, I can share data, I can be open to other opinions, I can shift when I get new information. But also to your point, it builds trust. Like because it when we're able to be vulnerable and open to other people that is very very trust building and I did an article um just last weekend about social media and Mm. one of the problems with social media is that the algorithms work too well and then we get echo chambers right Right. but the problem with an echo chamber is that i start to believe that most of the opinions out there are similar to mine right And everybody thinks what i do yeah exactly and surely they're more right than wrong right if everybody thinks this we must all be right exactly we're all brilliant right Right? and the social media also shuts down the opportunity for nuance and really understanding and so to your point i think we particularly at work it's a great context for us to understand nuance for us to ask questions for us to express our vulnerabilities, for us to be open to the thing that somebody said that was really not said very well and really kind of made us mad, but we're going to keep the relationship moving forward. There's a wonderful example of a a gentleman who runs a museum in West Michigan, and it's a museum of um, African-American and Black pop culture. Mm. And so it's got All the negative and um, really, really uh, offensive examples of how Blacks, African-Americans were exemplified in culture. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how important it is to learn from those examples. And he talks about when they invite people through the museum, they ask people to react and respond and dialogue. And a lot of times People do not express themselves well. They're really imperfect about expressing themselves. But he said if you ask for input, if you ask for opinion, you have to be open to people expressing themselves badly and still being open to listening and learning. And heaven knows that's like the scary thing for all of us, right? Like we want to do the right thing by each other. We want to express appropriately and we'll never be able to do that perfectly. So I think part of civility Part of trust, part of leaning in, like you're talking about, is, oh my gosh, asking for feedback and being open to learning and saying, I sure don't have this figured out, but I would love your help on it. Right.
0: And so I wanna, I wanna make the connection in sort of our, our, our last segment of this to what's being called psychological safety at work. And so Amy Edmondson. Um, is the author of The Fearless Organization. So you're seeing me as I really am, which is in mirror vision, uh, so it's it's backwards. I, I love Dr. Amy Edmondson and she is at the Harvard Business School. Part of what I love is that before she became a household name, so these are the cards that I send out to thank people for things and whatever. On the back of the card is a quote from Amy Edmondson, that I found in another book, because one of the things that I love and one of the things that she loves is about brain science. And she says, we have a place in our brain that's always worried about what people think of us, especially higher ups. As far as our brain is concerned, if our social system rejects us, we could die. Given that our sense of danger is so natural and automatic, organizations have to do some pretty special things to overcome that natural trigger. And so that is part of what got her into thinking about how do we create an organizational culture in which people feel safe, in which people can bring their whole, their their quote unquote, whole selves to work, their authentic selves to work. I want to make the connection between this idea of psychological safety and this idea of bringing your whole self to work.
1: Yes. Yeah, and psychological safety is so much on our radar screens right now, right? And I think interestingly it started with the dialogue about safety, right? right. Like we were yeah. we were thinking about air safety and surface cleanliness and safety way right. more in the last two years than we probably did in the last 20, right? I don't know. It's I really, might be exaggerating right. a little bit. But I don't that think that so. led us to what do we really mean by safety and what is psychological safety? So I really think it's also, it's important that people feel like they're safe. People are going to back them up. They can take a risk. They can make a mistake. They can do the, the dumb thing and they have somebody pull them aside and say, I got to give you some feedback about that, (laughs) My very first boss was just brilliant and amazing. And he used to talk about feedback as a gift. Like when Mm -hmm. somebody gives you feedback, they've actually had to take a risk in order to do that. But when they pull you aside, that is absolutely a gift to you. It says they care enough. They see what your goal was overall. They care enough to pull you aside. And they care enough to give you some ideas and some reflection and some alternatives. And the thing that I always like to compare is the the um, relationship of psychological safety and comfort and discomfort. Like, mm-hmm. if you you could think about it, any any good sociologist can you know think of a two by two, right? right. So, <laughs> you could <think> of psychological <laughs> safety on a vertical axis and comfort and discomfort on a horizontal axis. Discomfort can be a really good thing, right? It's the thing right. that's prodding us and asking us to think differently and. Pushing on us that, oh my gosh, we've got a lot to learn. And when we have a high level of psychological safety, we feel like somebody's gonna back us up, we feel like we can bring our, you know, weird sense of humor, we feel like we can be fully ourselves, and we have a high level of discomfort. That's when the greatest growth and innovation happen. But ironically, the more psychological safety you have the more open, free, liberated you feel to take risks, right? So the comfort that you get from psychological safety helps you to be open to the discomfort of, oh my gosh, trying something new, raising your hand for the new initiative, expressing an opinion that might be unpopular, but can help move the um, organization or the team forward. So I really like the, the relationship of psychological safety, comfort, discomfort. I, I love that too. And you know,
0: one of the things that I think we sometimes have been collapsing is this idea of you know, safe spaces and psychological safety. And there are organizations that I believe have gone a little too far on the spectrum so that people have the opportunity to say, well, this this conversation is making me feel unsafe and so I'm opting out. What they mean is this conversation is making me uncomfortable, right? And when we have the foundation of psychological safety, when we know this is a safe place in which people can be brave, then we get to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And and there's a big difference between feeling unsafe and feeling uncomfortable. And, And so we get to help parse that out for people because I think we are often collapsing those two
1: different ideas. Yes, absolutely. And you said it. It's the foundation, a foundation of trust, a foundation of respect, a foundation of um, absolute psychological safety that allows us to be curious or push back or um, ask each other the hard question. But we have to have that foundation. And I think to your point, back to civility, civility and the way that we behave toward each other is part of what builds that foundation from which we can build um, in terms of the way that we um, take risks and innovate together. Right.
0: So essentially, you know, it's not, we're not creating a safe space in which I can express my, you know, homophobic ideas or my misogynistic ideas or my racist ideas. Right. We are creating because my rights end where your rights begin. Mm-hmm. and and we are being uh, respectful and civil with each other. What we are doing is we are creating a space where I can be curious and I can ask important questions. You know, I mean, it might be that I come from a, a place that is all of those things. And so I might have a perspective, that i could bring you know well so some people out out there in the world might have the perspective of this if it's relative to how we're positioning ourselves as an organization or relative to how we're marketing or relative to how we're branding ourselves as, as an employer or how we are selling the widget that we sell or you know whatever it is so i might be able to bring that perspective if it's going to help move a conversation forward And know that it's going to make people uncomfortable. And so, you know, in that frame, I would want to soft step my way into it. So I'm going to say something now that may make people feel uncomfortable, but I feel like it's important for this conversation. Then what we're doing is we're having our worky self, our worky parts of ourself, our worky parts of our brain be able to express something that, you know may not be politically correct, but that I agree with and and I don't. but <laughs> you know were I to be that person, you know then we would be having a conversation about how to move the organization forward. and people know like, okay, so this this may get a little charged here. And, and so when you create that frame, when you create that context, I think that that is helpful. Um, if you're going to do or say something that may stir the pot a little bit.
1: Yes. Yeah, so well said. Creating that frame and that context, which for me is about sensing and being sensitive. Like you're sensing the environment, right? Like I know. You're reading this might, the room. Right. You're reading the room. I know this might be difficult. And and let me just you know put this out there. And you're being sensitive to others. I think the word that we haven't used yet, which is so relevant, is empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're really meeting people where they are and and thinking about how might they be thinking or feeling and being really respectful of, gosh, they might have a really different perspective because they had different experiences, they come from a different place. The other thing I think is worth saying is that there's some wonderful research on happiness and the extent to which your happiness is significantly greater when you're thinking about others and thinking about the community. Like when we're focused on ourselves, am I happy? What makes me happy? How do I get more happy? What do I need to do to be happy? You will actually detract from your own happiness. And when you're thinking of others, when you're thinking about how you contribute, about how you have an obligation and responsibility to other people, that is positively correlated with happiness. And I think that is the thing that will help us find that balance, right? Like, I'm going to be fully myself, I'm going to bring myself, I'm going to embrace my identity, Mm -hmm. I'm going to share things that might be tough for others, but I'm going to do that in a really sensitive way, in an empathetic way. I'm going to frame that to your point, I'm going to demonstrate civility, because that is also my responsibility to the community. And that will help us to all have a better experience, right? It contributes to happiness at work, which is absolutely connected with business results. So.
0: Absolutely. Right. Full circle. So I want to I end and then have us have a, a, a slight opportunity to talk about it because it's a little bit of a cautionary tale. So, you know, so what she's talking about is that sometimes organizations use this idea of bringing your whole self to work, Mm. because they're not giving people enough time to be a whole human. They're not giving people enough time to be outside of work. I wanted to know if you've thought about that challenge at all, because that was sort of a new frame for me. I was like, huh, I wonder wonder if we're being naughty. sometimes (laughs) and using this in a different context.
1: Yeah. What an interesting frame. Well the thing that the thing I go right to is when there's a spillover effect, right? When we're happier inside of work, we perceive ourselves to be happier all over the place. That's not news for any of us. The thing that is news is that when you're happier outside of work, you tend to perceive greater happiness inside of work. So it's a really great idea to go do the thing that you love to do with your family or friends or volunteer work. And I do think it's really, really great when companies want to create places where we want to I don't know bring our families in and have them visit or have um, affinity groups with help which help us connect or have dry cleaning on site or meals that i can order in when i'm working late all those are great and we don't want to send a message to people that this is the only place there is and we want you to give, you know, 150%. So you're totally sapped out by the time you get someplace else. So I think it's, it is a really, really good point that um, when we give people the opportunity to be fully themselves outside of work, that is actually the condition for people to be more fully themselves inside of work, to bring their whole selves because they've got energy and they feel fulfilled and they feel more full. Their tank is more full so that yeah. they can bring that when they're in their worky mode.
0: Oh, I love it. So thank you so much, Tracy, for being here with us today, for sharing of your insights, for sharing from your body of work. And Tracy, if you go to her website, if you go to Amazon and you put in uh, Tracy Brower, there are many opportunities to uh, learn more about what Tracy is up to. I really appreciate being with us. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Uh, Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember. Great leaders make great teams.